You are listening to the Conversations in Clean Energy podcast, brought to you by nonprofit Sustainable Westchester, a consortium of Westchester County, New York member municipalities, developing and implementing energy solutions that are socially, fiscally, and environmentally sound. This episode is produced in collaboration with NYSERDA, the New York State Energy Research and Development Authority. Host Radina Volova, the Regulatory Vice President at the Interstate Renewable Energy Council, and guests will explore a range of topics in the clean energy sector from policy and legislation to current marketplace solutions and the innovation driving the next generation of technologies, accelerating the transition to clean energy. Remember, the views or opinions expressed in this recording reflect those of our guests and do not necessarily reflect the policy or position of Sustainable Westchester, the Interstate Renewable Energy Council, or our sponsors. Diverso Energy is a geothermal utility company that designs, builds, owns, and operates geothermal systems, allowing developers to achieve green targets without any of the cost or risk. That's Geothermal Simplified. You can find out more information at diversoenergy.com. The show starts now. Property developers take big risks every day. New construction has huge budgets, small margins, complex teams, and variables that range from material costs to municipal approval timelines. Today's guests are developers that add a new technology, geothermal heating and cooling, to their plans because they say the juice is worth the squeeze. Geothermal reduces risk and increases profitability. Thanks for being here today, Alex and Ryan. One of the first questions that usually comes up in conversations around geothermal, particularly with folks who aren't intimately familiar with the technology, has to do with the financials and the technical considerations around the projects. So this question is, is directed to you both. Can you, can you speak a little to that? So specifically, what was the business case for a geothermal system in your new building construction? And what were some of the considerations you went through in selecting to go with those systems? Yeah, so in regards to the finances, it all has to come down to the initial planning. And we had an option to go with kind of the status quo and be like, oh, do we want to do propane heating with, you know, typical, you know, air conditioning condensers outside and we can, you know, of course, sell it as kind of like uh, the just kind of the general mass market approach to it. But then we realized that we really just wanted to differentiate ourselves. And I guess the question we asked ourselves was, is differentiating ourselves using environmentally conscious methods, was that going to allow us to stand out and actually get us a price premium over the alternative? And after we kind of ran the numbers where, you know, the geothermal systems, at least in our application, which are two to 3000 square foot condos, we're probably paying twice the amount as we would have for a typical HVAC system, you know, instead of maybe $30,000, putting about $60,000 in for these geothermal systems. But we have drawn so much attention and we've gained so many sales just from exclusively having geothermal that we knew within a month of us starting sales that it was so worth it. We were, we were pulling in customers all the way down from Manhattan, people who would typically look in Southern Westchester, 
all over the place. People would literally be ver like verbatim. They'd say, I am buying this condo because of geothermal. I'm going to have to say at least 60% of our customers almost exclusively did it because no one else offers it. So it was really, really, we, we took a risk whether or not it was going to be as attractive as we thought. And it ended up just paying back tenfold more than we could have ever expected. Alex, how about you? Oh, it's interesting. We have a, actually quite a different experience in all of this. Um, we uh, are quite committed to environmental principles and we follow uh, a planning and sustainability framework called One Planet Living, which most people are not familiar with, but you could certainly check it out online. It, uh, people are probably fairly familiar with the LEED rating system. LEED is fairly technical and a lot of people don't really understand what it means. It's what we found. And they especially don't understand the distinctions in lead between lead silver, lead gold, lead platinum. The, the general public doesn't really understand that. We use One Planet Living, which is a much more complete and I would say robust system that includes also cultural values and social values as well as environmental values. So that's our starting point. In our market, we find that we cannot get a price premium for Envir any environmental features, frankly. And so, although I would say we would sell faster, uh, we get great publicity, we get great traction in community meetings, and we get great response from municipal authorities giving approvals. But in terms of an actual selling price, the condo market, I would say, is quite competitive here, and there is no premium. So the challenge for us is how to embed a system which is more expensive, where we don't have an immediate way of recouping that in the sales price. So what we do is we work with a third-party provider who comes in and uh, design, build, operate, finance, and maintain the system, not as part of our capital cost. So we're not selling it as a part of the condominium, but it's rather a system that is leased to the future condominium residents over a 30-year period. And that 30-year period, that extra cost is, is the amortization of that system is paid for from the energy savings. So from the people who live in the condo's point of view, it's more or less the same cost. They're getting energy savings. They're paying off this system, which is a better system. They're getting a low carbon solution. They're getting security of energy costs going forward because it's a fixed price for 30 years. At the end of 30 years, they own the system. But they're not paying for it in their initial purchase price. So it's financed sort of off book. And that's how we make the numbers work. That's kind of interesting. I mean, it's, it's, it's similar in that they're financing where, you know, our condos, people are still getting like a mortgage. And I guess they are, you know, still technically financing their geothermal because it's wrapped up in their mortgage. But we were able to just justify the higher cost because their monthly savings in energy justify the increase in their mortgage price. You know, our, our electricity bills on average, including the entire house plus heating and cooling, average about $100 a month. So when we tell these people, oh, you're saving two, $300 a month, they're ecstatic, you know, and then they're, um, at least in our area, um, and for the houses that we typically build, which are around 4,000 square feet, you'll see average, you know, propane costs in the winter around 600 $700. It's just, 
that's, and that's not including the remainder of the electricity. So it's really very justifiable to raise the price up front um, just because we, we, we get to basically advertise, hey, you have almost no, like almost negligible utility bills. It's interesting that you can do that and that people believe you, frankly, because in our system here, uh, when, when you sell a condominium, uh, the developer uh, proposes what the operating, the condo fees will be, the maintenance fees, which include the energy costs, but there's no real recourse if they don't achieve those savings. So it's fairly common, frankly, for a lot of developers to sort of underestimate their the condo fees. Um, they're responsible only for the first year of costs. So if it runs over at the end of first year, okay, they supplement the budget. After that, condo people are on their own. So there is much less, I would say, trust in what, what a condominium developer will say, but what if I don't get them? So that's why in, in our system here, people don't actually do the math themselves. They don't, either don't believe what the, what the marketing people will say, or there's, there's no recourse if it, doesn't, if it doesn't pan out. And so we found that there's no premium that we can charge that will, that will kind of accommodate that extra cost up front. But again, as I say, through financing mechanism, we accomplish the same goal. It's a shame that there's such little trust in builders. And you know, that I hear that all the time. I mean, people are always like, oh, you know, the trust in contractors is almost nil. But I think like, you know, we've been around for so long that I, you know, thank God we have, we have a great reputation. So people do trust us, but I think you're totally right. If it's, more of like a small time contractor where they don't have necessarily the reputation to back up their word. I think people will not, I think you're right. People would not believe when we tell people how cheap the energy bills are going to be, they're like, Oh my God, are you serious? And luckily they believe us, but I, I totally see how most people are probably very skeptical. I think you both are touching on a really important issue, which is the question of education of the general population on energy issues. I think energy literacy is difficult enough to begin with. I don't know most people necessarily scrutinize their electricity or gas bills very closely every month or understand all of the line items or understand how the energy system works. And so I'm wondering, as you've talked about um, either there being this premium that you can charge or not being able to charge a premium because of a very competitive, environmentally focused market, how do you communicate the benefits of the systems to potential buyers and um, both the environmental and the economic benefits? And which do you think has a greater premium in your experience? Maybe in Canada and in Toronto, there is a greater focus on the environmental benefits and less focus on the financials because of that lack of trust. And in New York, there's more of a focus on the financials and the environmental benefits. Everything comes down to cost in the end. And, and people are always concerned about you know, what the end cost is for them. For them. And so what, I, what we found is people are always willing to make a greener choice if it doesn't cost them a lot more money or if at least it's the same cost. So one has to be able to demonstrate that. For example, we make a point of sub-metering all of, all of the suites. We make a point of sub-metering even water use because when people can directly benefit from their energy-saving activities, they're more inclined to do so. 
We find that, for example, submetering is a very effective strategy to encourage people to, you know, have good behaviors in terms of, of, of both energy uh, and water use. Um, in terms of the environmental benefits, it is a big educational challenge. When you buy a car, for example, there's usually there, there's a sticker that says how many miles per gallon the car gets and people can do the math and, and make their own cost benefit you know, decisions that, that they want. Maybe they're willing to spend a little bit more on an electric car, but they're going to save, you know, et cetera. We don't have that kind of rating system for our buildings. It would be a good idea if we did because then people could make those kinds of decisions. But I, I think we live in an environment here in Canada anyways, where we just don't have that independent rating system um, that's verifiable that people can, can rely on. We actually, um, it's funny that you mentioned an electric car. Um, I actually used to work at Tesla and I took a page out of their book in the way that they advertise their car where if you go onto their website and you look at a lease price, they give you what's called an effective cost, which basically has the price of, they, they, they don't even show you the actual monthly cost. They show you their monthly lease cost minus the assumed gas savings. So they're just like, oh my God, you can rent a Tesla for $250 a month. And that attracts people and it allows them to then click through and figure out the justification for it. But we actually did pretty much the same thing on our website where we, to, to financially entice people, we had to very clearly in a graph show the amateur, you know, the, the amateurized cost of having a propane system compared to a geothermal system. So we like through this and, and, you know, there's, there's a little bit of speculation in it and people have to take everything with a grain of salt, but we showed the cost of a propane system over 30 years compared to the cost of a geothermal system over 30 years. And it's like the cost of another house, you know, and when you, when you, when you throw these, when you really just show the economic effects of these decisions that's where people make the jump. Um, unfortunately, I don't think most people make their decision based on environmental benefit, but it will make them feel good about their decision. But the only thing that makes them really interested up front absolutely is cost. And fortunately, you you know, you have to do the you have to do the math for them. Um, you have to show very articulately, very clearly, we have a, just a simple line graph. Um, and it's really been really effective for us. Before the conversation continues, let's take a quick break for a word from our sponsor. Diverso Energy is a geothermal utility company that designs, builds, owns, and operates geothermal systems for multifamily office and institutional buildings. As an energy service provider, Diverso Energy's business model reduces construction costs by eliminating the need for cooling towers and heating boilers and provides a performance guarantee for the life of the agreement. As a result, the developers benefit from the improved real estate valuation and achieve mandated green targets without any of the cost or risk. That's geothermal simplified. You can find out more information at diversoenergy.com. Welcome back to the conversation. Sticking with the question of 
financials, can you talk a little bit about how the geothermal systems in your respective buildings worked in terms of the capital budget for the projects um, and what the outcome has been so far, if, if you have any data on maintenance costs and savings to tenants um, and maintenance and other such factors? In terms of our initial capital budget, um, it hasn't really been very impactful for us at all, um, actually, because I guess this is more of just a function of how we are building these condos where there was very little long-term infrastructure. Like there, there wasn't much of an upfront cost for us. We're actually building our condos in a lineal fashion where we build about 20 condos every year it didn't deter us up front, but in regards to how it's been affecting our customers, there's very little maintenance that comes to our, when it comes down to our geothermal system, where um, we have a great installer and supplier who stands by his work. And if there's ever an issue, it's under warranty. He warranties the loops in each of the geothermal systems for 30 years. Um, and also, so we, we actually, we've had one loop fail out of a lot of loops around here, but basically we just go back there with an excavator, the, um, our supplier backed it up. So it was actually no additional cost to the customer, but it also goes to show how, you know, no smart business person would make a warranty that would eventually put himself under. So this geothermal supplier is so confident in his loops and his installation that he stands by his, his, um, he stands by his work. He, know, he knows it's not going to be a huge factor in terms of, of maintenance. So to the customer, it's been not only no really additional maintenance cost, but now they're just utility bills are next to nothing. So all the customers have really been just loving it. It didn't really affect our capital expenses up front. So it's really been, it's been a win-win for us and for the customers. So it sounds like you're put, you're doing individual houses with individual um, systems, is that right? Yes. I see, okay, so that's very different from our situation. We're, we're basically doing, you know, mid-rise condominium buildings, so ranging from at the smallest, uh, you know, 40 units over, let's say, four or five floors up to, you know, several hundred units over 12 or 14 floors, so these are, you know, multi-residential multi buildings with one geothermal system for the whole building. So basically what, what we do is uh, at, even prior to excavation, the contractor comes in and, and it's, it's, a, it's a vertical system, not a horizontal system. So they're not, they're, they're, they're basically deep pipes that go four or 500 feet into the ground. And um, they're, they're drilled with kind of drilling technology, same technology that, that, that drills boreholes or uh, ironically gas wells, um, but now put to good, <laughs> much more greener use and, and doing these loops. So these are vertical wells. There might be 20 or 30 or 40 of them below a building. And they, they basically go into the ground and they, their starting point is below the underground parking level. Then we come in with the excavation, excavate the, the, one or two levels for parking and get about to the top of the of the well system then the geo 
thermal contractor comes back in and hooks everything up. So it's, it's one system for the whole building. The system within the building is the same as we would do in a standard condominium. Each unit has its own heat pump unit that provides heating or cooling within that unit. But the whole internal building loop connects to the geothermal loop through a heat exchanger. So in a typical building without geothermal heating, you'd have a heat pump system throughout the building with, with, a, with a set of pipes and heat would come from a boiler, gas boiler, and cooling would come from a cooling tower on the roof. So we're, we're replacing the boiler and the cooling tower for the whole building with the geothermal system, which is underground. But the internal building system is the same as for, let's say, a standard building. So what the people in our buildings are buying as part of their unit is the building system itself and the geothermal part everywhere from that heat exchanger down into the underground is done on this long-term 30-year lease that's, that's paid for out of the energy savings that are achieved by the condo corporation. Did you ever run into any issues with like failed loops? I mean, we're fortunate enough where there's plenty of land around here where we have the loops in the backyards, essentially. So if there's ever an issue, we can easily access them. What happens if you have like a failed loop in a basement of a large building? It could be a problem. You're right uh, there because you, you can't dig up. You can't dig it up after it's below the building. So generally, the that's why it's very important to work with very reputable, skilled firms that both have good technical expertise as well as kind of strong financials to know that they're, they're designing it properly. They tend to put in a few more borehole wells than they need. So if they need, let's say, 25, they'll put in 30 on the assumption that a few may fail, but they've, they've kind of over-designed a little bit and they've, they've got that as their, as their safety factor. The, the key point, as I understand it, I'm not a mechanical engineer, but the key criteria for making sure that the system works well is that you balance the heating and cooling loads. So in other words, the, the heat that you take out of the ground in the winter to provide heat, you have to put that same amount of heat back into the ground in the summer when you're doing cooling in the building. And as long as you do that, the ground kind of stays overall at the same temperature and the system will work properly. Where there are failures is where those loads are not balanced. And over time, the ground is either heating up or cooling down because you're not replenishing the heat that you're taking out of the ground with an equal amount you're putting back in. So it's, it's, it's a design issue that you need very skilled contractors who know what they're doing. And, and, and in our case, we're, we're working, as I say, with the, the same company does the design and the construction and the financing and the maintenance. So it's kind of once nobody can be finger pointing, well, you know, it's his fault. It's, it's, there's one, there's one point of contact, which is for us, very important. That's the way to do it, to make sure that there's accountability. But how do you, do you basically, if you have to control how much heat or cooling load goes into the ground, do you allow people to have like their own thermostats or is it like, or do you, do you, or do you set like a, a building temperature and monitor? Yourself? Oh no, no, everybody, it's completely independent. Everyone has their own control. You, people can, because it, everyone has their own individual heat pump in their unit, they can be heating or cooling depending on what side of the building they're on, depending what their circumstances are. So we, we don't control that at all. 
Um, so how do you make equilibrium with heating and cooling? Well, there's usually, um, again, I'm not a technical ex expert, but for example, there's ways of discharging heat to make sure that they're balanced. So they have um, monitors to monitor the, I guess, the fluid going in and out of the, the heat pump loops all year round. And if they notice that, that there's a surfeit of either heating or cooling, there's ways of balancing that. For example, we have loops, heating loops under the, the there's, a, there's a ramp that goes down to the parking garage. Because we're in Canada, we have snow and ice, so we have to heat that, that ramp. So that ramp has, in the winter, would have some, some of the coils under there, would, would, would keep the ramp free of snow and ice. If there's, the system needs balancing, they can discharge more heat even in the summer through that ramp if they have to. To make so th they have kind of um, escape valves, if you will, or or means of balancing the the geothermal system independent of the building system. So the building calls for heat or cooling as it needs, totally like a normal building. But the geothermal loop has ways of discharging or or yeah, balancing that load if if the building itself isn't balancing the load. Because we're working in an urban context, I mean. We just, there, there's no surplus land. We're building kind of lot line to lot line. So that's, uh, yeah, it's a different system. So you've already touched on this a little bit. I'm curious to hear you both talk a little bit more about the maintenance of the systems and the practical aspects. I think we've talked a little bit about the costs associated with it and, and the savings. Do you find that the operation and maintenance of the geothermal systems is substantially different from what it would have been if it was uh, fossil fired heating or is it the same are there any pros or are there any cons compared to conventional heating and cooling systems in our case we actually still use forced air um, to distribute the heat or cooling throughout the house so that remains the same whether or not we use however we source that heating or cooling, whether it be propane or whatever. So people still have to change their filters. Um, so that has not changed. But in regards to yearly upkeep, um, anyone who's ever owned a boiler or a furnace knows that you're really supposed to have a maintenance contract where they go in there and they clean it out. They check the nozzles. And so there's actually a lot less maintenance. All we have is a compressor and the solid state loops. There's no, there's no maintenance on the loops. And the compressor is actually monitored remotely, at least in our um, situation. So it's really just the filters. So people are actually saving a lot of, a lot of cost and, and, and time um, in terms of maintenance in our situation. I would agree with that. I mean, in, in our system, um, there's, there's relatively little maintenance compared to the kind of maintenance you'd need on a full building sized boiler and cooling tower. Now, we don't actually do the maintenance because as I said earlier, we, you know, the company that we hire, it's complete turnkey. So they're not only doing the design and the construction, they're also maintaining it and financing it long term. So we don't actually get into it. But I understand it's a very simple system to operate. What, what, what we really love about it is that we don't have all that equipment that we have to deal with. The only things we have are pipes underground and then a very small mechanical room. So what we don't have is a big cooling tower on the roof, which means our roof can be green, our roof can be a terrace, our roof can be an amenity space for the building. 
And so we basically gain back valuable real estate that is an amenity for the whole building. Similarly, we don't have a huge boiler room um, in the basement. So that's, again, space that can be used much more efficiently for storage or, you know, a water cistern or, or, or other features. So there's, there's many side benefits in terms of space saving that we find from a geothermal system. And actually, that, that does translate into the just the smaller condo situations that we have. The amount of equipment that we have in our basement is now so small that people it's it's almost like a selling point. We go into our basements, which typically, you know, back back in the day, a lot of people are coming from, you know, they have their oil tanks and they have their furnace and they have air handlers. Then you have the water tanks. Then you have. But instead, we just have our little air handler and this little it, it looks like a mini fridge. And we're just like, so this is everything. And we just leave this entire basement for them to utilize for, you know, finishing. So it definitely translates in the smaller scale too. And definitely sounds like a selling point for geothermal. Since geothermal systems are dependent on electricity, how essential do you think it is to consider the role of renewable energy generation either on site, on a project being developed, or on the grid for ensuring that geothermal systems are running on clean energy? Which I guess I will step back and say that obviously when we're talking about grid electricity will depend on the market where you are and where the local distribution utility sources its generation from. But to the extent that you have any control over installing rooftop solar or other local renewable generation or procuring it, what role do you think that has to play in geothermal systems? I think it's it's a plus, but what's so great about it being 100% electric is as we naturally move towards a greener grid, the geothermal system continues to then be greener and greener as it goes. I don't think individualized solar is compelling enough, unfortunately, for most people to actually do it. It's it's almost a wash. So we're kind of going back into the point where will people do something purely for the green aspect of it? And yes, there are some but I think most are still under the conviction that solar's ugly on my roof. It looks panelized. I don't want it. And luckily they have the opportunity to go through their electricity supply, uh, their, their, their electricity distribution company in our area. It's NYSEG. And um, I know in New York, you have the ability to choose your electricity supply company. So if someone's really compelled to get their energy from renewable sources, go straight through the grid and select that you want your energy to come from solar or wind. And I think the market is going to continue to go more in that direction. Um, So yeah, of course, you know, the greener that we can be the better. So yeah, I think if you're in New York, just choose your ESCO, choose clean energy. And it's the easiest thing you can do. No construction needed. You literally just go online and you're just like, I want solar. And you're guaranteed and, and you're, you're essentially promised by your distributor. They will get all that energy from solar. So I think that's great. I see two issues. One is resiliency and one is green energy. So any system you, you use, whether it's geothermal or not, will require some external inputs of energy. So even a conventional boiler and conventional cooling systems need electricity. So whether or not you have a backup system is kind of an independent 
issue to what system you have. And, and if you wanted to be really resilient, you'd have some kind of a backup system. But it's not that necessary, I don't think. It's, it, there's, there's much less that can go wrong, frankly, with the geothermal system. It's just a few pumps, and, 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 and they can be readily repaired and replaced, as opposed to much more complex you know, heating and cooling of a, of a boiler and, and a cooling tower and a chiller. In Ontario, I believe our grid's about 85% clean. So it's, there's still some uh, electricity that's generated by, by fossil fuels, but most of it's either hydroelectric or nuclear. So it's pretty clean. If that's really important to you, yeah, you can get your energy from you know, Bullfrog Power or some green energy supplier and pay a premium. Because, you know, go online and, and just have your energy uh, source pay the premium to, 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 to go to a green energy provider. So that's, that's always an option. Interesting, we did one project in Ottawa on the border between Quebec and, and Ottawa. It's called Zibi. It's a very interesting community scale project. And we, the, the grid in Quebec is actually very clean because it's all hydropower. They don't have nuclear. They don't have any gas fired. They have you know, very ample supri- supplies of hydroelectricity. So their grid is basically 100% clean. And, and our projects spanned the border between Ontario and Quebec. So I, we wanted to use the, the, the grid from the, the electrical grid in Quebec, and it's also much uh, less expensive. So there was a double benefit. It was a really win-win situation. But we're not allowed to bring electricity across the border from one province to another. It's like interprovincial, you know, rules of, of trade, which is absurd, but that's just the way it is. But what we are allowed to do is bring hot and cold pipes across the border. So what we did was we have a district energy system in the project that's run off of geothermal in, in, as well as some waste heat from a, a, neighborhood, a neighboring industrial plant. It's a, it's a district energy loop around the whole building. It's powered on the Quebec side by clean, green, cheap electricity that then heats or cools the pipes and we're allowed to bring the pipes across the border. So it's a bit of a arbitrage to sort of get around this, this rather silly interprovincial barrier to importing electricity, but still getting the benefit of a cleaner grid, a less expensive grid to power the whole uh, project. Now it's not every project that happens to sit on a border like that. So you can't always do that. That's fascinating and quite complex. Very complex. <laughs> it, was a, it was a great solution. From an approval perspective, there were a lot of challenges straddling a border. We straddled two cities, we straddled two provinces. There were actually two different Aboriginal groups uh, on, on both sides of, of, of Indigenous groups on, uh, that we had to deal with. Water Conservation Authority, it was a very complex project to get approved, but a really fantastic project that was kind of a landmark for, for, for both municipalities in the end. But yes, it was complicated. So you both have a ton of experience at this point with developing residential projects with geothermal as part of the energy mix and as a selling point to customers. If you had one piece of advice to other developers for new construction who are considering incorporating geothermal into their projects, what would your advice to them be? I would say to leverage the finances, the how how lucrative the finances are of going green 
you really want to show its value in regards to how much you reduce their monthly expense going forward. Um, then secondary, uh, as a secondary so, like support of that, then mention it's green. Because uh, exactly what we were talking about before, unfortunately, money is usually the divine, is, is usually the primary factor for any real choices. And most people have been convinced on the energy savings of the geothermal system, which then is twofold beneficial because now with people seeing the energy savings, they're actually still willing to, they're willing to pay a premium up front. So it's, it actually benefits both the builder and the customer and then the planet as well. My advice would be make sure you think about these things early. Um, you can't tack on these things as kind of last minute decisions in a project. If you really want to do it properly, you have to kind of start right at the conceptual stage with what you're going to be doing. And that's where you can get the, the best, the most effective solutions. It's not like tacking on a bunch of hardware at the end of a project where you just make all these little tweaks because you'll never get the, the, the full benefit from it. So we're, we're big believers in kind of integrated thinking, in kind of uh, bringing all the consultants to the table right at the beginning of the project, all the partners, all the stakeholders really, and coming up with a, with a solution that is really a triple bottom line that, that has benefits for everybody, but you have to do that early on and you have to integrate it right into the, into the bones of the project and not do it as an afterthought. Based on your experience thus far, what is one piece of advice that you would give to other developers who are considering incorporating geothermal systems into their projects? It's been getting cheaper, more reliable, more effective, and we've been using it for 10 years and we're going to keep using it. I would say the same. It's, it's a great system. We've had great response from, from everybody, from our residents, um, from our marketing people, from the contractors. So uh, there's no reason not to use it in the future. That's very exciting. In New York, for example, energy is supplied through a mix of resources at the moment, but the state has a goal to achieve a 100% zero emissions electricity supply by 2040 under the state's Climate Leadership and Community Protection Act. Well, it could actually be the answer to the question. It's almost an, an adjunct to the, the comment I made about getting in early and, and making sure you embed uh, kind of sound, you know, environmental thinking early in a project. And then I could add on to that the fact that, you know, we've developed this fund. We're in the process of launching a fund called the One Planet Living Fund, which will partner with other developers so that we can actually participate in that crucial early phase of a project, um, get involved in the design in the conceptual design of a project, embed systems such as geothermal systems and other kind of green technologies. And the, the fund will basically provide equity for projects and for other developers who are willing to adopt the One Planet Living framework for, for their projects. So it's a way of us kind of leveraging the knowledge that we've already developed as sustainable developers to help other developers down that path encourage them to do so, even provide equity to, to help them 
go down that road. Thank you all so much. This was great and really great questions and um, great background on the projects. Please remember that the views or opinions expressed in this recording reflect those of our guests and do not necessarily reflect the policy or position of our sponsors, Sustainable Westchester, or the Interstate Renewable Energy Council. Nonprofit Sustainable Westchester offers a robust portfolio of clean energy solutions for municipalities, property developers, businesses, and residents. If you're a building owner, operator, architect, engineer, or professional who would like to explore implementing the 21st century heating and cooling technologies featured on today's episode, reach out to us. We will help you navigate available resources, including technical assistance, financing, and rebates. Today's episode was produced by Sustainable Westchester's Commercial Clean Heating and Cooling Team. Program Director Rachel Carpatella and Project Manager Harleen Srivastava with marketing and promotional support from Maria Genovesi and technical production from the Sound Media Group. This episode was produced in collaboration with NYSERDA, the New York State Energy Research and Development Authority. Don't forget to subscribe and share this podcast. Stay tuned for another episode real soon.